Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic. We're here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on Nine, the new musical starring Daniel Day-Lewis. And joining me in the studio at Slate is June Thomas. Hi, June. Hello, Dana. You are Slate's foreign editor. That's correct. And you are also one of my favorite spoiler companions, uh, especially for anything involving a musical and or theater. So you were the perfect one for Nine. Except that I didn't see the show Nine, nor did I see Eight and a Half. So I feel that my buildup was non-deserved today. Well, we should set up what those are. Eight and a Half, right? The Fellini movie, which um, the title of the show is sort of a joke on. The next Mm -hmm. step after Eight and a Half is Nine. Mm -hmm. And Nine was also a Broadway musical that I believe swept the Tonys or did very well at the Tonys in the 80s, early 80s. Yeah, and then it was revived um, earlier this decade, 2003, I think, um, you know, Chita Rivera, it was, you know, Antonio Banderas was Guido. Why did you not see that revival? That sounds so up your alley. It was before I lived in New York. Ah. Or I probably would have. Um, uh, and yeah, and you can tell that there's a, there's a sort of, um, what do we call it? There's, it's happened before that um, Italian movie became a musical and then was a successful musical movie. Knights of Calabria became Sweet Charity that then was a successful. Oh, see, this is why I have June Thomas in these podcasts. I would never have known that. So that was a successful movie. Of course, that was before we moviegoers. Wait, Knights of Cabiria. You mean yes, Knights I'm of sorry. Cabiria, yeah, yeah, the Fellini excuse movie. Me, excuse right. me. Yes, yes, yes. I was thinking Calabria. Do we have two? Right. Okay. <laughs> I said that wrong. Um, and so I think you know, that was the inspiration, I'm guessing, but I think we've changed our moviegoing habits since then, and Sweet Charity would have seemed really cool. I'm not sure that America is gasping for nine. I will even know what it is it's just it hasn't entered that level of well, yeah, cultural we were just, consciousness we were just talking about that sweet charities from what the early 60s right uh, something like that with shirley mclean yes oh, i need to see that movie yes. but so so that still came from the era when musicals were a normal thing to splash up on the hollywood screen right, right. and people bursting into song was something that everybody took for granted but for whatever reason that dinosaur kind of became extinct and now you have to work really hard to to make people buy that concept right. and i wanted to talk about how this movie does it which as i gather i didn't see the stage show either, but I think it's quite different from how the stage show did it. Yeah. Um, I think it's a compliment that they did this. They were thinking, you know, some movies, uh, some songs you didn't need because the movie establishes whatever they established in Song and Dance. Um, you know, we see that Guido came from humble beginnings. Wait, we got to stop, stop, step back and say who Guido is. Guido is, at this point, the famous Italian film director, Guido Contini, who is having trouble making, I guess, his ninth movie. Uh, and of course, he hears the thing that I most associate with Woody Allen. I loved your early successful movies. Right, it's the joke from Stardust Memories that comes up over and over at the beginning. Fans rushing up and saying, "Oh, your early movies were great, right?" So, so good. he's he's supposed to be Fellini, but he's also supposed to be almost sort of this—I don't know who to describe him as—this burned-out poet, kind of romantic, Byronic poet type, right? I mean, Fellini, I don't think was known as this, you know, incredibly handsome, dashing guy who swept through Rome, womanizing with everyone inside. Yeah, and that's maybe how Rossellini, this guy is. but but not so much. Uh, Fellini. Um, so this guy, Guido Contini, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, we begin the movie as he's um, trying to contemplate the concept of his next upcoming movie at a moment that his career seems like it's he's extremely famous, but it's just about to go into decline because his movies haven't been up to snuff. Yeah. And then there's this great fantasy dream sequence. Well, all the songs are fantasies. This is what I wanted to get to is the way yes. they sell the concept is that every song takes place only in Guido Contini's head. So let's talk about how the songs are handled in the movie. Well, they're they're in they're all in Guido's head. Um, you know, it's it's clearly fantasy. We're we're not in real life where suddenly everybody put you know the people in the office put down their pens and their typewriters and start singing. It's fantasy. It's very clearly fantasy, and only Guido's fantasy. Yeah, right? and and very cinematic. I mean, it's the fantasies of 
a very uh, image conscious movie director. They're very spectacular. They're you know they're they're also the fantasies of a a man with a high libido, I guess. Right. So the very first number, which is called Guido's Song, takes place in this kind of empty warehouse space where he's imagining his next movie and suddenly this parade of women in you know basically showgirl outfits come out and start climbing down ladders and appearing in doorways and singing this song at him and they're going to be all the women that that people the movie i think in the stage show maybe one of the listeners can write in if this isn't true but i think there was only one man in the stage show there was the guy who played guido contini who was raul julia i think in Uh, the original mm. and uh and then all women, you know, mm. so it was this very high concept, you know, a man surrounded by women who were all in a way projections of his right. fantasy. Right. Yeah. Um, so these women are incredible actresses. I mean, one thing this movie does not lack is acting star power. We were counting earlier. So basically there's Guido and seven women. That's, you know, the main characters of this movie. And six, six of the eight of them have Oscars. And since Daniel has two, that's seven Oscars. Uh, Kate Hudson was nominated for one. Uh, Fergie of Black Eyed Peas is the only one who doesn't have an Oscar yet. <laughs> yeah, Fergie needs to get on that. She must have felt really left out like, at the Reindeer Games during the shooting. <laughs> so even though I think you and I could revisit visually almost every number, oh, the one where Penelope Cruz is almost naked climbing right. a rope, and right? The one yes. where Marion Cotillard does a strip tease. Yeah. I don't think we could sing. Could you sing a single song from this movie? Well, there are two of them that have stuck with me in a way that surprises me. And I think for the most, they are incredibly forgettable. I mean, the minute that the music stops, you've forgotten them. Um, and there are some visual images that remain. But um, Be Italian, which is a song that Fergie sings, representing, I guess, Guido's first stirrings of, of what, sexuality? Yeah, she's his lust. id, basically, yeah. right? And there, there is a scene that is straight from Fellini. I think it's in a couple different Fellini movies where he remembers in black and white, in very Fellini-looking kind of 60s-style black and white, this moment when he and a bunch of little boys from his village went to the village prostitute mm-hmm. and gave her all this, these coins that they got right. together, and she sort of sat down and told them about sex. So that's Fergie's song, basically, yeah. and that song turns into Be Italian. I guess that's all you need to know about <laughs> right. the facts of life. Be Italian. And, and it's, it's, it's a weird song. I mean, it's got maybe four notes that are just kind of repeated but in a in a way that's memorable um and you know the staging like all of the songs is very sexy very sexual but you you just remember the melody and then the other one is a song which i think is awful um kate hudson's kate hudson plays stephanie an american journalist she she writes for vogue and she's always trying to collar guido for an interview right or or for a drink or for whatever and she sings this song cinema italiano which has cinema, please. Cinema Italiano. And it has the worst lyrics. I mean, I'm going to read some. Um, the scenes I love to see from Guido's POV. There's no one else with his unique director's vision. <laughs> his angles, wide and tight, each, each moment feels so right. Defines Italian style by only his decision. And I mean, you have to read it in that. Staccato, staccato way because that's in a way because I remember the music but also otherwise you would just you know slash your wrists it's it's just terrible terrible prose but it I really remember that song and also since Kate Hudson can dance and like pretty much all the other uh, actresses who are ma- marvelous wonderful actresses but they can't actually dance um, so that's the only song that really has kind of mm, you know 
movement to it as well. I guess, yeah, Kate Hudson can move, but I still thought that number was a complete travesty. And then I, and then later on reading the notes, I realized that there was a reason that it stuck out. That was actually written for the movie. There were three numbers that were written for the movie by Maury Yeston, who wrote the, uh, the, song, the music and lyrics for the show, because I guess he needed further exposition and he wanted something for that character to right. do. So that Cinema Italiano was one. But another one is what I think is the most successful number in the whole movie, which is Marion Cotillard's right. striptease number. Right. Let's talk about that. So Marion Cotillard, who, if you don't know, just won recently an Oscar for playing Edith Piaf. Right, in Le Vion Rose. And is fantastic, I think, in this movie, as she yeah. was in Le Vion Rose. Like, she's yeah. really the next big thing, right? Absolutely. She plays Guido Contini's wife, his long-suffering wife, who he's now cheated on countless times with every leading lady that he's had And she since. was once his and leading she was lady. once his leading lady. Yeah. So she has a couple of great numbers, um, one of which was in the original stage show called My Husband Makes Movies, which is actually in her imagination. I think it's possibly the only number that doesn't take place in Guido's imagination ah, that we know of. That's right. When she's introduced to some of his cinema friends, and you know she's a little bit in the hobnobbing world that she's left out of all the time, yeah. and she wanders off and sort of fantasizes and dreams about their broken marriage. That's an, a really nice number. But the one that she really kills in is, is her striptease number. What's that one called? Take It All, right? Uh, no, it's amazing. The song is absolutely forgettable, but she is... I mean, I have never seen a striptease wor- that seemed more... that was more believable. I mean, it was very sexy, but it also was very violent. I mean, people were pulling clothes off her. When you think of what a striptease is, especially when it involves the men in the audience. It actually is about being, you know, undressed by these by these voyeurs. Well, that seems obvious, but it's never felt more uh, visceral than when and she menacing. Did it. Yeah, right. absolutely. And somehow she managed to make it advance the story, which, which this movie takes some doing because the story is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we kind of still haven't gotten to the central paradox of this movie, which is that it is utterly ridiculous. The music is totally unmemorable. It has so many chunks of cheese falling off of it right and left. <laughs> totally. And yet, I found it thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I mean, I I could sit here and you know criticize it for hours and hours, but I had a real fun time for two hours. Um, and it is lovely to look at these great actresses. I mean, some of them are very misused. Uh, Nicole Kidman plays Guido's muse. Uh, whatever that means, we never really find out. She's sort of supposed to be like Anita Ekberg in the Fellini movies, right? Yeah, she looks yeah. like Anita Ekberg from La Dolce Vita. And she has um, a similar... She's Claudia Jensen or something like that. And and she just does nothing. I mean, she kind of... She has a song, of course, which I can't remember what it is or what it does um but she you know she kind of strolls through rome with him or i could think it's rome maybe it's the 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 town that they the seaside town that he runs to but it's really just a matter of her looking perfect and she does look perfect there's a scene where he kind of does a a film test whatever we call that of her and she yes she looks perfect but completely and utterly two-dimensional. We don't know anything about her except that she's Guido's muse. That's it and that's all. But the rest of them, they look great. I mean, it, one of the things that's tragic about this movie, I think, is that we have some of the great bosoms of our time. I mean, and really displayed. I mean, this movie, Rob, if Rob Marshall, the director, deserves praise for nothing else. It's for how, I mean, the man knows something about corsets. I mean, Judy Dent, <laughs> who, you know, she's hot, I'm not taking anything away from her, but she's in her 70s. And she looks amazing. She has a scene where... It's true. When you think of Judy Dench, I mean, you don't think of her figure, right? right. But this movie really shows it off. She shows got, them off to yeah, advantage. exactly. She's got an amazing figure. Penelope Cruz, astonishing. Uh, Marianne Cotillard also looks great. 
Um, we should mention also that even though Marion Cotillard does a striptease, the one who really gets up close and personal is Penelope Cruz. Absolutely. So if she floats your boat, you should so go to this movie. <laughs> and it's a lot of floating going on. But so we've got the great racks of our time on display. And yet, who's going to see this movie? It's going to be straight women and gay men. I mean, there's never been a greater waste of boobs <laughs> in cinema history. It's just tragic. Um, so I suppose we, you're right. We haven't actually gotten to, to what the what happens in the film. Basically, Guido's stuck and he's being tortured by women, but really is his wife and his mistress, who's played by Penelope Cruz, and, like, is there anything else? There's, like, writer's block, basically. Writer's block, I mean, yeah. it's pretty hard to make a musical about writer's block at all interesting, but obviously if anyone can make that seem deep and meaningful, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Right, right. right who almost brings this excess. I was reading in the notes again that he learned Italian for this part, Shut and he doesn't up. even speak Italian. He speaks with an Italian accent in old Hollywood movie style, right? Like, right. I am speaking Italian because I have an accent. Which is kind but of... But he learned Italian for the freaking movie. It's ridiculous, though, because he does have this, this Italian accent, and Sophia Loren, Oscar winner Sophia Loren, comes in there playing his mother and he has much more of an accent than she does I mean it's just kind of silly um, but I do like the kind of pan-Europeanness of it I and mean, we've got Fergie and Kate Hudson who are American, Judy Dench who's English although I don't know what she's supposed to be she has her song is about the Folly Berger I think she's supposed to be British right, okay. British but with a history of making costumes for the Folly uh, Berger. Berger we've got Penelope Cruz who's Spanish Marine Cotillard is French um I mean, I don't know. Oh, well, Nicole Kidman's Australia. I mean, it is this fantastic international, you know, global movie. It's just sort of, I'm not quite sure what it's in, in the purpose, in the, I'm not sure what it's all about or what it's all for. Right. I mean, it's, it seems like the, the number of people who are actually theater nerds who are going to be drawn to see it is so small, but then the star power is going to bring in a few more. It's, it, you're right. It's not really clear who this movie yeah. is being marketed to. And for my money, I mean, Chicago was a huge surprise success, right? Yep. It won all these Oscars, yep. and people really loved it. It was yep. a big hit. Yep. And that really surprised me at the time, because I thought it, it really had that problem, the problem mm-hmm. of stage-to-screen transition mm-hmm. that just feels like a dead fish flopping around on screen. I think this movie has that less, but I think it's just because of the the performances. I mean, yeah. Catherine Zeta-Jones is a bit of a dead flopping fish in that movie. Yeah. As is, oh, yeah. Renee Zellweger, please. Oh, I forgot that she was in it. I mean, Queen Latifah was big and bomb, and, and I guess it had Richard Gere. I mean, Richard Gere was the, the male equivalent for the, you know, the estrogen benefit. But the only thing I remember about all of Chicago is John C. Riley singing Mr. Cellophane, because it's a great song and a great performance, and that, that was a moment that I actually felt like I was watching a stage show. The rest of it felt like, you know how Rob Marshall loves to move his camera yes, around to yes, prove yes, that yes. it's not a stage, right? Yeah. So his only way of doing it is to frame a very boring shot of a stage, and then start w- wildly waggling the camera around to remind you that it's cinema. Right. And so it's all just sort of disorienting. And dizzy-making. The only thing I remember from... Uh, Chicago is Queen Latifah's décolletage, so I suppose we also established that Rob, Mar- <laughs> Rob Marshall is really good at, at framing breasts. So at least these movies found one <laughs> breast appreciator in their absolutely, audience. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there must be more, possibly. Okay, so I want to get back to that, but... Let's just stop for one quick word from our sponsor, who, as regular listeners know, is Audible.com, the leading purveyor of audiobooks on the web with over 60,000 titles. And we have a recommendation for this week, which I I think is nicely thematically related, or at least obscurely related to our movie. Actually, we went crazy on Audible. Like, does Sophia Loren have a memoir? Because she plays, we didn't mention Guido Contini's mother in this movie. I thought she might have a juicy memoir, but apparently she had a long, happy marriage and has nothing to write about. (laughs) At least on Audible. But we did find Judy Dench, um, who I think we didn't mention much in the movie, but I think is one of the high points of the movie, who has several things on Audible um, that she reads aloud, including... The House of Pooh. 
which apparently she reads with Stephen Fry and Michael Williams, who was her husband of many, many years. Unfortunately, he died some years ago. Um, but they were a very sweet couple that often acted together. And I guess you can only imagine that it would get better with Stephen Fry in the mix. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering now who's who. Like, I imagine Stephen Fry is probably Pooh. There's not really any women in the world of Pooh, so I don't know who Judy Dench is. Maybe she's the narratrix. Yeah, maybe she, yes, exactly. And then Michael Williams is, is Piglet or something. But he, it's out there to explore. Yeah, he was a very, very sweet guy. So I could really see him with Pooh. He was a theater actor yes, as well? Yes, they, they, as I said, they often acted together, did a lot of Shakespeare together, and then also some sort of silly TV as well. They, but they... They were a very lovely couple. See, what would I do without you and your theater nerd knowledge? It's great. <laughs> so the place to sign up for that is on our page, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. And if you go there, you can sign up for a free audiobook, including the Winnie the Pooh one, which you get to keep even if you don't decide to stay with your membership. So back to nine. Dana, would you say, if you were a fan of you know Italian neorealism, is this a kind of a continuation of that genre? Is it an homage to all of that? Well, I don't know if you'd call Fellini. Certainly, eight and a half is not neorealism because it's too fantastical. But yeah, if you're if you're a, a aficionado of Italian art cinema, right? Yeah. Would there be yeah, anything yeah, yeah. in this for you? I, it seems like the references are so shallow that it, it wouldn't really amount to very much. I mean, if you like Kate Hudson's character, if you love cinema italiano as a kind of style statement, which is uh-huh. what her song is about about right. skinny ties. Skinny ties. Then there's plenty of that. I mean, this this style is incredible. And there's a scene where he's driving by the forum at the Mm. beginning and his little, is it like a yellow roadster or something? Yeah, it's a great car. And there's some some really excellent style in that sense. But cinematically, this movie is about as uninteresting as it gets, right? I mean, everything that's interesting in it has to do with with the stage and and with theater. So the fact that there's a little bit of dressing around the sides that vaguely hints at 60s Italian cinema is is not that interesting. Yeah. Would Um, you recommend this movie? You know, I think I would, but it would depend on who was asking me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably going to write a review that's more about celebrity and about mm-hmm. the weird interaction of the Oscars. It's like the statuettes. It's like seven statuettes, you know, acting yeah. in a movie yeah. than, than about the actual quality of the movie. But I guess I would say if any of these actors, like I say, floats your boat, I mean, if any of these people are someone that you just like to follow their career and, and they captivate you on screen, mm-hmm. God knows there's plenty of somebody, somebody's got to captivate you out of that lineup. Then right. I, I would say you should see it then. And I would say anybody who's a fan of acting. I mean, Marion Cotillard really takes what is a, a kind of, they're all very superficial, very undeveloped roles and, and also quite cliche. And yet she takes the, you know, the wronged wife and really she does break your heart. And if you can achieve that in the middle of this film, it's an even greater achievement, I think. No, I think you're right. And there's still a lot of people who don't know who Marion Cotillard is. I mean, I, I know some people who are big movie fans who, for whatever reason, didn't see La Vie en Rose, and they haven't gotten yet the, the sensation that is Marion Cotillard. Yeah. So, so I would send them to this for sure. For sure. All right, June. Well, thank you for joining me for Nine. Thank you. And thanks for coming in for this Slate Spoiler Special. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.